hosts the Mavens of Manufacturing podcast and uh, has a lot of other things going on as well. But um, I think she's going to be a great uh, resource to talk through on remote work. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so let's start off a little bit with just your background and how you got into your current position. So I um, graduated from the University of Milwaukee with both a bachelor's and master's degree in technical writing. Um, I was one of those typical kids who didn't realize what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and almost flunked out of college, not once, but twice. And um, I ended up getting pregnant at 19. And my daughter and I have been pretty much basically on our own ever since she was born up until about five years ago when I met my husband. But when I got pregnant with her, I was like, I really need to get my stuff together and be able to provide for her. So creative writing um, doesn't really pay the bills unless you're, you know, really good at writing books like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. And I'm not that creative. I'm, I'm sort of creative, but not that creative. So I decided to go into technical writing and Back in like 2008, I got a position at a trade publication and they asked what my engineering experience was. And I was like, I'm not an engineer. I'm a, I write for technology. That's really different. It's not the same thing at all. Yeah. And they were like, oh, OK, that's that's doesn't matter. We just need someone to do copy editing for technical information. And I was like, OK, cool. So for about six months, I was doing copy editing and copywriting for like product releases and press releases and just making sure all of the information was consistent and there's no grammatical errors or spelling errors and really um, focusing on what the jargon was for each industry that we were hitting with the cherry publication and after that they trusted me enough to go out into the the fields and interview different people and do different stories about what products were being made and designed. And I really fell in love with the passion that I was seeing among the engineers and the manufacturers during that time. So um, started doing storytelling and sharing everyone's stories about why they were in the field that they were in and why they liked doing what they were doing and why they were making the products that they were making to help solve the problems that they were solving. And did that for about seven years. And after that, I tried to switch industries into higher education, which was really boring and dull for me because um, it was so linear. And I was just trying to get students to come to college, which I necessarily didn't agree with because I don't think that's a solution for everyone. Right. So I was like, I really miss manufacturing. So I uh, put my resume out there and started uh, floating from manufacturer to manufacturer. I worked with a bearing company, an additive manufacturing company, a CNC machining company, and just really writing texts for their websites, um, doing press releases, getting involved with the community and trying to get the community aware of what products these companies were producing and making those connections. And then also managing like their social media and stuff and really taking all that technical information and kind of interpreting it in a fun way where people like, you know, who might not understand math or science very well, really could understand what they were trying to do so that it wasn't so technical and get them to either, you know, be a customer of theirs or someone that's a fan of theirs. 
Um, and then from there, uh, I, I did get let go at a few positions, such as life is. And I got let go right before the pandemic hit. So I decided, hey, I'm going to try this freelance thing and got my husband's blessing and started Z Inc. Solutions, which is my freelance stuff that I do. And then I also got um, in touch with Kent, who is part of the TMA in the Illinois area and gave him my resume and he pushed it out to his network. And that's how I was introduced to PhotoFab, which is a photochemical etching company. So they chemically etched thin metal parts for aerospace, defense, and medical. And they did a lot of work with the ventilators when the pandemic hit. So it was really cool learning about their process because I was always introduced to manufacturing as, you know, you're either adding metal or you're cutting it away with either a laser or a tool. Right. Didn't know about photochemical etching until PhotoFab. So now I'm working with them and just really trying to push out their process because it's not very well known. There's very few chemical etching companies here in the United States, um, which is interesting. And there's some in England, I believe. Um, but yeah, just really trying to educate people what photochemical etching is and some of its benefits over traditional um, fabrication methods like laser cutting or CNC or stamping. So, and then in my spare time, I do uh, mavens and manufacturing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a, a ton of stuff uh, that you just covered. Um, so I'm also Midwest. Um, I live in Minnesota right now. So, you know, we got that Midwest strong right here. Um, <laughs> want to uh, keep the uh, manufacturing strong here. Um, you know, I think it's provided a lot of benefits for the area. So, um, but one of the things like we're trying to do, you know, with uh, with this podcast, with the software, one of the things you're trying to do, I think, is change the culture, right? So, um, and there's some other things I might want to come back to early, uh, later. But, um, but you know, we talk about remote work, and you t and you are, you know, like you said, you went through a transition, and you're working. Uh, you, you took a new job during the pandemic. Um, you also have uh, freelancing on the side or, as well. So um, what was it like or, or are there any more details that you can share in terms of, um, you know, finding the job and then um, uh, working remotely and and um, with with manufacturing and, and how does that, you know, because there's always been that culture of well, we need to have everybody here. Like we can't have people remote. And obviously the pandemic kind of flipped that upside down. Um, how how has that transition gone for you or, or is that, has that been an issue at all? So with me personally, no, because I've always been able to work from home. Um, even with my kids and I, have, um, my daughter, and then uh, when I met my husband, we decided to have uh, two more little kids. They're, they're boys, so they're wild and crazy. But um, I've always been able to adapt to my surroundings, whether it's traveling on an airplane and riding on an airplane or being in a hotel room or sitting at a restaurant and opening up my tablet and typing while I'm sitting there and just being productive that way. So I've, I've always taken advantage in those little moments of time to just be productive somehow. Um, with manufacturing, it gets a little tricky because especially with old school manufacturers, I've come to find that they have a lot of control issues, it seems like. Like they want everything to run smoothly because if 
things fail, then they're not making money. They're not producing, which can be detrimental. So they like to micromanage a lot of times that I've personally experienced, which can affect productivity in a negative way. Um, and it also seems that when everyone is together in the same area, there tends to be a lot of meetings that aren't really necessary, I think. So I don't know. I, I think there's a time and a place for people having to meet face to face, but there's also the situations too with shop floors, like you need people there. You can't right. have people not be present. Um, and I know there's a lot of things going on in the automation world right now that's trying to even cut back on that. So like you can do, um, what is it called? Lights out manufacturing, where you have these CNC machines that are pre-programmed. You can keep them running and you can check them on your cell phone or something like that. Um, but I mean, I don't think we'll completely escape yeah. Some type of human being in there. But with with me, it was easy. I think with others who had a hard time kind of imagining what it would be like out of the office, um, they had a harder time transitioning. I've seen it. Um, but it was kind of interesting, too, because with people working from home, um, there was that isolation factor, right, that the pandemic caused. And people right. were getting depressed and getting kind of Zoom fatigue or go-to fatigue, all of these virtual meetings. So that was kind of an interesting thing to see as well, too. But I don't know. I think a hybrid kind of solution is the best way to go because I feel like having that face-to-face -face interaction is important just to keep our sanity sake. But in terms of productivity, myself, personally, I'm more productive when I'm at home because I have my own space. Um, I know where my food is. I can get my own kind of coffee. I I can sit on my couch, you know, or I can sit outside. I, I can move around a little bit. And I think that's healthier um, than sitting in a cubicle office where, you know, more people are rocking by and can distract you from what you're trying to focus on. So I think it just depends on the person. Yeah, I think most people that I talked to agree with you on the, on the, uh, the flexible scenario. So like you said, I, you know, I have my own thoughts about lights out manufacturing. I don't think it's necessarily the best uh, goal to strive for really. Um, but even so, so even if that is a goal, you know, it's probably farther out, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I do really think you need to have people at the factory, obviously not just, you know, making things, but, whatever those technical employees are, they need to really see the process and understand it. But we also need to balance that with, you know, uh, with everyone's lives. And, you know, if we talk about um, being competitive, um, you know, this talent gap, uh, people wanting to, to what they want to do when they grow up, that sort of thing. Um, if we have this perception of uh, dull, dirty, dangerous manufacturing, uh, that you're always chained, you know, you always got to be at the factory. Um, I think we're just going to continue to lose uh, talent, you know, and, and the next pipeline coming up, we're just, we're not going to get those people. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I think that, you know, we, we need to keep trying to change that perception also with like Mavens Manufacturing. That's another, you know, kind of whole thing where um, we need to, we need to have diverse viewpoints right in in manufacturing and so um you know 
bringing those viewpoints in and elevating those viewpoints, I think is important as well. Um, mm -hmm. And if, if we want to, you know, keep getting new, uh, younger women in manufacturing, we have to, to keep um, changing that perception, right? So, um, yeah. Well, so, I just think yeah. younger generations too, like my daughter is addicted to her phone, which is terrible, um, but that's how their generation is. They, yeah. they know how to make video really quickly because of the apps that are on there. Um, they're pretty much digitally smart, I guess you could say, with any technology because that's what they grew up with. So, I mean... I don't know what her generation is called. I, she's not a millennial because I'm an elder millennial, I guess. But um, her 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 friends, if it's not moving or recorded in some fashion, then it's boring. So I think you got to take that in consideration as well, too, is what are the younger generations doing that get them excited and passionate to attract them to some of the manufacturers are still doing really old school practices. So if they don't change that, they're not going to attract those younger kids into that sector. They're just not going to do it. Yeah, I had a previous episode talking to um, a video uh, uh, content editor and just talking through, um, you know, how we and I've been doing this at, at my position as well as, you know, moving the like just training documents, for example. Right. So you have instead of a, a, a training manual that's this thick or a operations manual, right? You you create videos and you make it small, short videos that are much quicker to digest and you can go quick look at that. Oh, it only takes a minute to watch or whatever. And then you get people actually, you know, engaged in the training or the manual or whatever the, you know, whatever they're trying to learn rather than trying to read through something thick and then they just, you know, they turn it off or they set it down and they go, oh, you know, screw this. I'm just going to try to figure it out. Or, you know, I, I've seen that so many, you know, over so many years in manufacturing, we had the, well, we, you know, we wrote that in the procedure and you look over the procedure sitting on the wall and it's got a layer of dust, you know, this thick, nobody's ever even opened the book. Right. So um, anyway, yeah, I think that also fits in with, with remote work. It fits in with the new generation, right. You know, we have to embrace these new technologies. So. Right. Uh, so, so you kind of said you like, you you prefer working from home uh works it works better with your family situation um and i think that's another thing too that you know we talk about attracting and getting the right people or just getting people to be excited about manufacturing that's another area right so um is there uh do you so do you think you're um you're going to continue you know along this the similar vein of uh you know, freelancing, remote work, um, and that sort of thing? Um, I would like to just because it's something that, like I mentioned before, I'm more productive in doing. And I think it's just healthier for, you know, mental health specifically. Um, I don't think it's necessary for people who are in marketing or administrating or anything where you're using your laptop most of the time or if you're on the phone i didn't i might be getting trouble later on with um phone fan for this but i just don't think it is necessary to be in the office all the time if you're on a laptop or on the phone most of the time because you can do that from anywhere right um 
Yeah, there's distractions in personal life. Um, it took a lot of training on my end with my family to make them understand, hey, these are the hours that I'm working. Do not come downstairs unless someone is dying or bleeding because you're going to distract me from what I'm trying to do. And as a writer, it's hard because if you're interrupted, it takes about 20, 15 to 20 minutes to refocus where you left off. And I mean, my kids would come down, my husband would come down and it was, you know, just typical conversation that we would normally have. So it took a lot of training from my end to say, hey, you need to stop doing that. This is not going to be good for you in the end. (laughs) Like I need to work. So um, they finally caught on and it's been a lot better situation. But I mean, I think that's with anyone. It's an adjustment and you got to do trial and error and figure out what works best for you. Yeah, so I can relate to that a lot as well. Um, I don't write so much, but I do uh, a lot mo- writing, writing code, I guess, right? So similar in that, uh, you know, I'm in the middle of coding something and it's going to take me again, if, if I get interrupted, it's going to take me 15 minutes to remember what I was doing, you know, what was that line of code. Um, so th- there was some training too with the, with my kids and my wife. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think we've gone through the transition now. Um, so I wanted to kind of go back to something earlier you're talking about, because you're talking about like storytelling and um, translating. And this is something I can relate to as well, like translating what engineers or what manufacturers do to, I wouldn't say dumb it down, but just make it more interesting and and accessible. Because I think a lot of times about like, can my wife explain what I do? <laughs> um, kind of, sort of, like, she she knows a little you know enough about it but like i don't know if my mom could explain it or my dad you know so um so how are there are there some well first of all it's important right just to get your message across but uh, what are like some of the things that you do to to help with that so it's it's really a fun journey this is why i like manufacturing so much as well too because most of the engineers that i've come across have been really socially awkward or shy um same thing with manufacturers and some just are so used to thinking the way that they're thinking they don't really understand why what they're doing is important like they don't get the big deal of it and being anti-social or socially awkward they have a hard time communicating with other people that are outside of their circle. So when I come in, they're just like, why do I need to talk to you? Like, this is what I do. And they'll just say it like they would normally talk about it amongst their friends or group of people. So it takes a lot of digging. And if I come up with a question, I usually have to reword it several ways. So one question I try to write differently So instead of just saying, hey, what do you do? I'll ask like, okay, so you're designing this for this company and it involves all of these components. Why is it necessary for all of these components to be involved with the whole and what sort of things is it going to help this person complete faster by designing it this way? So then they start digging more into what they're actually doing. So you just, you have to familiar, you have to familiarize yourself with the industry that you're trying to talk about. You have to get used to what the jargon is that engineers would use 
where I wouldn't necessarily understand it or you wouldn't necessarily understand it and then try to find those synonyms for what they're saying. Sure. Um, it's not necessarily dumbing it down. It's just, it's explaining it in a different way. So I do a ton of research in my job, like photochemical etching. I had no idea what the heck it was when I first started at PhotoFab. I'm still learning because I've only been there a year, um, but I didn't know what an etchant was. Like when I thought of etchant, I thought, thought of um, an art class I took in high school where we took like a razor blade and we were etching yeah. out a design on that. Nope, not that. It's, it's yeah, it's taking a design and etching it out, but it's using chemicals to burn the metal away to create that product. So just kind of making sure you're describing that process and you also have to think too where your customers are in their buyer journey, because if there's someone that's just looking for a solution, but they already know what they're looking for, you don't necessarily have to go in those details as much as you would with someone who doesn't know anything about it. So there's different ways to present information and there's detail that you can include or disclude just depending on what level a person's at in their buyer journey. So a lot of, lot of research, a lot of outlining, a lot of editing. <laughs> sure. A lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think of, I don't know, I've been in, you know, over the years, so many different technical review meetings where somebody's presenting what they've been working on, right? And a lot of times it's somebody who's been working in the lab, you know, and they're working on something very technical, very, uh, very specific. And they go and they present and it's just, you know, uh, 25 minutes of like just very specific things that like I can't relate to, even though I work, you know, in the same building as them. And, uh, and uh, you know, so I think about that, too. And I'm like, man, I, I got to try to make sure that my presentations make sense to like somebody who, you know, but I still I'm sure I struggle with that, too, because I. I you know, as an engineer, you just get so used to what you do every day and talking about it with the the experts that you talk to every day and they know what you're talking about. And then you go talk to somebody else and they're just, you know, they, their eyes kind of glaze over. And <laughs> so, yeah. Most of the time in those situations with me, I'm like the annoying two-year-old that keeps asking why all the time, even with the simplest questions. And I think that's what you have to do, though, when you're in engineering and manufacturing. If you don't understand something, right, that they just keep asking why yeah. so that they can get to that solution. So I do the same thing when I'm trying to write about it. If I don't understand it, I'm going to go to the expert and I'm going to keep asking why. And it probably gets really annoying to them, but it helps me understand and kind of be one of those macro experts in it so that I can write about it efficiently. And then anything that I write technically, um, I always give it back to review because again, I'm not the expert, I'm just the writer. And it it really helps them get excited to tell their story as well too, and be a part of that process. Every, every time that I've had a difficult personality, once they figured out what we were doing and the value that it provides, and it brings in more customers, they got really excited about it and were like, wow, you're excited about this. You're curious about it. So that must mean someone else is. So then they get more involved with the process. So it's really, it's really fun. Yeah. And I bet, you know, just because again, this is just my personal experience, but, and just, you know, engineers that I've worked with, um, 
you know, we're very like analytical and uh, process based and, you know, like uh, math, like just give me the answer or like figure out the answer. So then when you start, when you start getting exposed to like um, marketing and branding and, you know, when I remember um, one of my first meetings at 3M, um, there was a, we had like this three day workshop, but one of them, we had like an hour long meeting on branding and like how you had to display this thing and it had to be the logo had to be on this you know and you can only say this and i thought it was like the dumbest thing ever i was like this is so silly you know who cares about this stuff um and who cares about like you know getting it right like we'll just figure it out we're engineers we're smart you know but it's so important now I, i i just you know years later i understand how much more important it is to yeah to get a, have a clear message and and get that across and how much of an advantage that gives you in the manufacturing space. So, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Good work. <laughs> there was one instance where um, I was annoying. Like he was at the company that I was working for, for like 40 some years. And he was old school in the fact where, you know, he did what he needed to do to get things done. And he didn't like people that didn't know what they were doing or had to necessarily learn. So anytime that I would go into his office, he would just roll his eyes at me and just be like, not this again. Like, why is this person here interrupting my work day? I just want to get stuff done. So he finally like created a nickname for me and it was called the Dirty Penny. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And it's like, something that annoyingly shows up on its unexpectedly or something like that and i was like okay if you're giving me nicknames regardless of how you're trying to insult me or whatever that must mean that you're starting to like me so that's that's good so he was he it was funny it was just funny to me if you uh shine that dirty penny it becomes shiny right maybe so i don't know <laughs> so I mean, uh. but he was just old school and i it was um I was actually on maternity leave with my youngest when he decided to retire. So I was sad that I didn't get to say goodbye to him. But if you can just crack that hard shell that some of them have, you get amazing information that's really valuable. And it does. It provides that culture and it shows why workers stick with companies that might not be so fun to work for. And it gets people on board with you. Like they they root for you. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it also, you know, all of this kind of fits into that remote work again. So if you're talking about how to um, communicate like clearly and and like, um, uh, you know, what, what are you doing messaging wise, like communicating that remotely is more difficult, right? So you have to be um, more on point, I guess, with your, with your messaging and understanding how to communicate what you're doing to your right. colleagues, right? And to your boss and whoever, you know, so definitely all important things. Um, so like one more thing I, I'll just uh, just bring up is the uh, Mavens of Manufacturing. And mm-hmm. just can you um, talk a little bit about that and what you're trying to do with, with that? Yeah, so Mavens of Manufacturing was something I came up with back in December when things were still pretty isolated. Um, A colleague of mine, he's actually a good friend of mine as well too. He and I decided to go out for tacos and whiskey one night and we were sitting and just talking about 
everything that was going on and our fears. And I told him about some skydiving trip that I took because I was afraid of heights and I wanted to see if I could get over heights. Still afraid of heights, but fell in love with skydiving. I would absolutely do it again and recommend it to anyone. Um, but I was telling him about, because um, I just got hired on with PhotoFab and I was talking to him about the photochemical etching process. And I was like, I probably sound like a really big nerd right now, but I'm really excited that I'm learning about this new process that I didn't even know existed being in manufacturing the entire time that I was in manufacturing. And I was like, the only downside is, is that it's just one story. And I miss being able to talk to a bunch of different people within a variety of fields and learning why they're passionate about why they're passionate about it. And we were also talking about the skills gap and the gender gap. And I was like, I really want to do something because talking to my daughter and some of her friends who are graduating next year, none of them have manufacturing or engineering on their radar. I think one of them did. Um, but I talked to my daughter and she's interested in the medical field. And I told her, I was like, you have to apply for scholarships. You have to apply for loans and grants if that's the route you want to go down to because I unfortunately do not make millions of dollars and I can help you a little bit, but I can't pay for your whole college career. Like that's just not going to happen. So she and I have had several conversations on how she can cut corners a little bit to save some money. Um, but there's still that thought process, I think, amongst parents, like it was among mine, where you have to go to a four-year college to be successful. And that's not the case with manufacturing. My brother is a prime example. He was in a job that he absolutely hated. And um, finally, after getting so fed up with it, he did a welding certification course for two years. Now he's a welder, absolutely loves it. Regrets that he didn't do it sooner because he was like, I didn't have to go to college. I could have saved a ton of money. I could have been in this field longer than I am now. And he's like, I'm just learning all these cool things and it's really fun. So he's, it really changed his mood and he's just really excited about it. And I feel like there's a lot of those opportunities within manufacturing. So I wanted to present these stories, but I wanted to focus mainly on women just because I don't see personally their stories being shared as much as the guy's stories. So I wanted to focus on women because I feel like to diversify it and get some of those younger generations of women and even some of you know my generation who might be in a field that they don't like and they wanna consider a career change, I want to show them, hey, look at these awesome girls that are in the sector, they're doing amazing things and they're rocking rocking it out like so I was telling my colleague about mavens and manufacturing and he was just like you should just do it and I was like I'm not prepared for it I don't have a website I don't even know how to create a podcast I don't even know how to upload things on YouTube like I've never been that technical with things and he basically told me that I was ridiculous because he's like it's really simple and you're smart enough to learn it really quickly so I made the announcement in December and a bunch of people got a hold of me recommending other women, um, asking if they could show up on the show. And I just started booking it out. And right now I'm booked through August and I'm starting to book for September. And I don't know if you know who Tony Gunn is on his podcast, but yep. he yep. and I have been talking with each other and we're hoping to get some sort of like 
national school tour going where we diff we meet with different communities and we talk with each community with students with parents with counselors with manufacturers and just really highlighting all of the cool stuff that's going on in manufacturing so mavens was just a really cool way for me to say hey yeah it may seem like there's not women in the field it may seem like this might not fit your lifestyle because you might be a mom or you know you might not be good at math or science or you might not have the money to afford a four-year college but you can still be successful so that's why i focused on maintenance yeah i think it's it's really awesome you've had some amazing guests you had like a rosie the riveter the original yeah. rosie the riveter i mean just really cool um so i think you know anyone who's interested should check it out um and it will put a link to it uh on, on this as well but um i just wanted to highlight that because i thought it was really cool uh it's and and i think it's needed you know so um and you know uh i think you're doing a lot of cool stuff but one thing we didn't even really get into chemical etching like the uh <laughs> the because I was, I was wondering too like um and we don't have to get too in depth but you know, I've been in plating shops before, right? Is it is it similar to that or is there something different? So plating, I'm not too familiar with, like I would okay. need to look into that more, but with this process, they take really thin sheets of metal and you can have like your min, your minimum thickness and your maximum thickness. And what they do is they, use CAD software and they're able to either put one part or several parts on um, different sizes of sheet. And depending on the manufacturer, um, they have you know their minimums and their, their maximums. But what's great about photochemical etching is you basically take a photo tool, but that actually is changing now with these digital imaging machines that are coming out. So instead of using these like plastic sheets to kind of like, they take these plastic sheets, they put them, they sandwich the metal in between that, and then they use a light source to kind of burn it in there. It's not necessarily burning okay. it in there, but that's what it's doing. It's imprinting it on there. And then they take that and they put it through this chemical bath. So anything that the light hit gets hardened, and then anything that isn't hit by the light remains soft so it's the hardened metal that stays and then the soft metal that gets etched away gotcha. and the reason why it's called photochemical etching is because it was actually i think a process that kodak um presented on it to help sell some of their film yeah and manufacturers picked up on it so chemical etching has always been around for centuries um i believe back when nights were a thing, they used different kind of acids and stuff to etch decorative designs in their armor. Um, okay. But with this process, especially with digital imaging machines that are coming out, that gets rid of the photo tool. And some of the benefits of that is they can turn designs around within hours. So if you call PhotoFab or another chemical etching company and say, hey, I need this, they can actually take that design put it in their computer and get it completely etched out within that day. So we say our lead times are between three and five days. Wow. And then if there's like any changes in design, 
you don't really necessarily have to change the programming of a machine or change the setup of like a spindle. You just have to change the drawing on the CAD um, file yeah. and then you edit, push it through and edit out a new design. So it's really good for high production parts or prototype parts. It's also really good for thin metal parts. Um, we do offer like secondary services too, because let's say you want a shield, um, you're gonna have to form that shield somehow. So we use bending and stuff to form the shield. Um, and another benefit is, is that it doesn't induce any stress on the metal like CNC machining can or stamping yeah. can. And with laser cutting, you can get burrs on the metal, which can be catastrophic in some instances if you don't shave that down. With chemical etching, that doesn't happen. Um, there are tabs that are in some of the designs, so you can get burrs that way, but they're easier to get rid of, and you don't have to have like a secondary machining process to get rid okay. of it. So it's it's really linear. There's really not a lot of innovation with the technology um, or the process because it's just using chemicals to etch away metal. So it's not like you can create a photochemical etching machine that's like five axis or anything like that. Um, but it's a it's a cool process because it can produce high volume parts at cheaper cost than traditional processes. So yeah. that's attracted to some industries. Um, but it can be limited, like any kind of process that it has its limitations. Sure. But it's really cool. I, I talked to our chemical engineer, and it was a, such an interesting conversation. Most of it went over my head because I was really bad at retaining information in chemistry um, and all the formulations. But he was telling me stories about some of the chemicals that he's worked with. And he is like, this chemical on its own can be deadly, but if you mix it with this, <laughs> then you can actually put it on your skin and it's actually a baby shampoo. And I'm like, that's incredible. So it was a complete nerd moment for me when I was talking about yeah. it. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, okay. So I, I thank you very much for um, this interview. I think we got some great content here and um, check, check out Megan. She's all over LinkedIn. Uh, check out Megan's manufacturing, check out Z Inc. So, um, and we'll post links to all that, but uh, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. All right.